from Trifecta Fitness. We're proud to be Clarksville's new Get Fit headquarters. Trifecta Fitness is a state-of-the-art spin and strength training studio. Our spin studio is truly one of a kind in this area, complete with 20 state-of-the-art live fitness bikes and an incredible sound system. Our strength training is done in small groups of six or fewer, and all of our strength and spin classes are scalable for every level of experience. Come see us in the heart of Clarksville, just behind Mapco at the corner of Old Trenton Road and Wilma Rudolph Boulevard. Call us for more info at 931-542-6265 or download our Trifecta Fitness app for a full list of upcoming classes. In October 2019, Arlington, Texas was chosen to be the home of a new national museum, unlike any other. The National Medal of Honor Museum will be a unique home of military history. The 100,000 square foot museum will house exhibits, archives, and artifacts relating to the 3,500 U.S. troops who have been awarded the medal, the nation's highest honor for valor in combat. The museum will have 31,000 square feet of galleries dedicated to U.S. troops who have received the award. The museum CEO, former Navy SEAL and NASA astronaut Chris Cassidy said the museum will focus on education as much as preservation. The building will have five areas dedicated to Medal of Honor winners from the Army, Marine Corps, Navy, Air Force, and Coast Guard. The main gallery will be located in a central plaza under a 25,000 square foot slab of steel which will appear to be suspended in midair. It will be supported by five pillars. Black Rifle Coffee is a corporate sponsor of the museum, as are the Dallas Cowboys. The museum's board also includes over a dozen major corporations and six Medal of Honor recipients, including David Bellavia, Patrick Brady, and Britt Slabinski. Army Staff Sergeant Bellavia was awarded the medal for clearing an entire house by himself on November 10, 2004, as a squad leader in support of Operation Phantom Fury in Fallujah, Iraq. He killed four enemy fighters and wounded a fifth in close quarters battle. Army Major General Brady flew and coordinated the evacuation of 51 seriously wounded men during a firefight in Vietnam in January 1968. Slabinski, a Navy SEAL chief and team leader, led a rescue team of SEALs during Operation Anaconda in Afghanistan in March 2002. Slabinski and his team flew to a mountaintop ambush site to rescue Petty Officer First Class Neil Roberts, who had fallen from the back of a helicopter. Slabinski led the team through almost constant combat against an entrenched Taliban force. Along with the board members, former presidents Jimmy Carter, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, and Barack Obama serve as honorary directors. The museum is expected to open to the public in late 2024. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back. Nation. We are a show founded by a veteran and hosted by two veterans and a military spouse. Our mission is to get people to tell their story to the world. If you're an author, share your tips with Ms. Vinci. If you're a musician or actor, our audience needs to know how they too can get into the business. Coaches, we love our coaches. Come on and share some of your tips with the Misfit Nation to help them become better versions of themselves. If you're a corporate leader or an entrepreneur, come on and share how you did it and how hard you have fought for success. If you're a veteran, first responder, or Gold Star family, we would love to have you come on 
and just share your story with the Misfit Nation. We always have time for you. If you're feeling down, alone, or starting to see the darkness, stop. Think about those who are around you. You are not alone. You will be missed. If you feel like your problems will be a burden to those in your inner circle or are embarrassed, dial 988. If you are a veteran, take option one. We need you to keep pushing forward. Don't make a permanent solution to a temporary problem. If you're a new listener, welcome to the Misfit Nation. Be sure to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast apps and also on our YouTube channel at the underscore Misfit Nation. Subscribe and click the bell to keep you up to date with our latest episodes and all of our news. You can also find us on Heroes Media Group and About Face Radio. Now, let's get to the show. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back. We have a good one tonight, y'all. It's coming to us from Australia. Uh, our next guest is an award-winning resilience coach, consultant, and speaker, multi-award winning professional artist, teacher, Amazon best-selling author, publisher, mentor, affiliate, volunteer, cancer survivor, MS warrior, disabled, mom of two, grandfather of seven, and the queen of resilience, and she has a dog. So she, she's definitely on our side here. So welcome to the show, Justine Martin. Welcome, Justine. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me, Rich. Wow, that's an introduction. <laughs> that's a long that's a long list of accolades right there. Usually I get like one or two things to say about someone. For you, I had almost a paragraph. It's amazing to have a, that kind of stuff going on, and you've done a lot. So thank you for agreeing to come on to the Misfit Nation. You're welcome. And all of that's been done in, a lot of it's been done in the last 11 years. So 12 wow. years. Yeah. <laughs> so 11 years, you've been sprinting for 11 years straight. So that, that's amazing. Yeah, I have. Um, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis back in 2011 and told that I would never be able to work again. And listened to that medical professional for uh, around 12, 18 months. And um, he was right. I couldn't work, but in the job that I was doing, um, there was no way I could go back to that work. Um, I had to learn how to retrain, and he never said that. He just said, you can have a lot of time on your hands, find a hobby. Oh, wow. And I was 40 years of age, and I was like, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? You know, what purpose do I have if I can't work? How can I contribute back to society? Yes, that's definitely a lot of the, I'm sure a lot of things went through your mind when they, when they tell you something like that, especially when they're the, the expert and they, they're supposed to know it all. And uh, they instill that basically put fear in your mind. But uh, just based on what I just read, you didn't take that fear. You took that as a challenge and you accepted the challenge and you've, you've pushed forward. Yeah, look, at the time, um, you know, I went down a very dark black hole um and the black dog the you know depression was definitely there and my whole world crumbled around me in the blink of an eye and uh, when someone says to you well you can't do this anymore yeah you believe them especially when they're in that role of authority but he didn't know me and that was his <laughs> that was his false belief um but, you know, I didn't wake up one morning and go, right, I'm going to become an Amazon best-selling author and I'm going to do this and I'm going to win all these awards and I'm going to do that. It didn't happen like that. But what did happen was that um, I went and picked up a paintbrush and it snowballed from there. So my hobby 
um, to fill my days. Six months later, I sold my first piece of artwork for $300 and it's like, oh, my God, I can still make money. I've still got some purpose. And that felt like $3 million to me um, with what I'd made. And and I couldn't believe that people would pay their hard-earned money over to me to hang my paintings on their wall and that gave them enjoyment. And the business has just, just snowballed. One has led to another, which has led to another, and now I've got seven. So no more. Uh, seven is my cutoff in businesses in, in running them all. Um, and more than enough to keep me busy. Sure. So one one business for me is enough because I still do my day job as well. But seven, I'm sure that takes uh, all 24 hours of the day, plus still having to live during that time as well. You, you, you have your household and you have your grandchildren as well. So I'm sure all this keeps you busy uh, during the day. Yeah, look, it does. And I, I it's a full time job just managing my medical appointments as well, because, of course, um, you know, I still have MS and my body likes to fail me every so often and um, I'm back in remission from the cancers. They came back last year. Two of them came back last year and um, I'm now back in remission from that. So, you know, juggling my health as well as the businesses and then my grandchildren, um, uh, yeah, you've got to be the master of uh, time, so to speak, and I keep a really good planner and I have a really good support system behind me I've always seen that asking for help is not a sign of weakness, that it's a sign of strength. And I think when you switch your mindset um, to that, then you don't have to walk alone. Uh, definitely. And uh, I like to tell people it, it's you can't go it alone, no matter how tough or, or strong you think you are. You always need someone to lean on. Like for you, when uh, everything snowballed basically at once, you uh, got diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. You had the heart surgery, right? The heart surgery and then right. uh, three heart surgeries, then three cancers, and then two are back in remission, but you yeah. still have MS as well. So if you don't have a support system around you, things crumble pretty quick because there's those people are the ones that would be able to say, hey, look, Justine, it's time to stand up. It's it, You can't just sit down all day. Get back and paint that. Put, put some paint on the canvas. Do something. Write another yeah. book and get out there and do things. So I'm sure you able to tap them on the shoulder and say thank you as much as possible yeah look you can't build resilience without support and whether that's um, internal or external um, i regularly see a counselor every couple of weeks because i don't believe that it's my family or or my friend's responsibility to hear me vent all the time on you know things that are going wrong with my body and i've been seeing the same counselor now for 12 years I'd hate to think when I've said to her, you cannot quit because <laughs> I am not starting over again with someone else. And, um, you know, she keeps me grounded and I can, you know, go in there and vent to the world and not be judged um, by it and, you know, offload to her because I'm paying for it. And I come out a bit lighter um, after each session. So every about every two to three weeks I go in and, and see her or I'll go in and say, this is now wrong with me or I've got this and she'll just like, are you kidding me? And I'm like, no, I can't do it anymore. Yep, here comes something else. Um, so, you know, at least once a year I go in there and say, oh, this is wrong. I've got to have this surgery. I've got to have that um, with it. So she's quite used to it. But um, paying for her support um, has been a huge game changer for me. 
um, with that. And I have a better than relationship with my family and friends because they don't need to know all the nitty gritties um, on it. Yeah, they are there. I can, you know, talk to them about things in my life, but um, we tend to focus more on the positive things than the negative things all the, all the time. I mean, my kids know just by looking at me, you know, mum's in pain or, you know, mum's not very well. So, you know, I don't have to vocalise to them about it. They know. Um, they've been around me long enough to know. Um, but, yeah, that external support definitely helps. Uh, I'm sure it does. And does did MS run in your family or heart disease run in your family prior to you getting it or did you not ever have anyone see it around you? No, my mum had MS. So um, I've been living with this disease since I was about nine, ten years of age. Um, I became my mum's carer and then she passed away from complications at the age of 49. So when I was diagnosed at the age of 40, it's like, oh, my God, I've only got nine years left. And and what's my purpose going to be? And then because we were always told, my brother and I were always told, no, you can't get MS, it's not hereditary. And it's not hereditary, but if there's a genetic predisposition and all the environmental factors are in place, then you can get it. And I suppose I won the lotto. It was just the wrong lotto at the time. My mum's first cousin also had MS. He's since passed. And my nana's cousin's great-granddaughter has it. So it's all of my nana's, my mum's, side of the family so there's a strong genetic link um through there uh for it um and my my nana carried a lot of guilt for a long time thinking that she caused all this which she didn't it's just genetics um so i realized early on after i was diagnosed and made a conscious decision that my journey was not going to be the same as my mum's and I would do everything different to what she had done. So when she was diagnosed, there was no disease-modifying therapies. Um, people weren't aware of, you know, the food that you'll eat has a massive impact on, on your bodies. Um, so, and she never exercised. We ate fried food growing up, um, that nice white fluffy stuff, uh, bread, all of that um, man-made manufactured food as I call it, secondary food, not primary food. So I made a decision that I would do things differently. And so I cleaned up my diet. Um, I went on disease-modifying therapy drugs and I exercised, which I was doing prior to being diagnosed, but continue to exercise. And that helped me pull myself out of that depression and set some goals, some realistic goals that I wanted to achieve. And one of them was to become financially independent and not be reliant on a man ever again. Sorry, sorry, Rich. Um, But when I was diagnosed and having to stop work, my income stopped overnight and we didn't qualify for any government assistance over here in Australia. Um, My fiancé at the time was earning too much money, but we were living at that standard um, and then all of a sudden, you know, I'd lost a good chunk of the income and our medical bills, my medical bills increased and having to pay for MRIs at, you know, $800 a pop and and stuff like that. So our quality of life started to slip um, as well. And I felt like I was a burden um, on him, on society. So when he ended up leaving me, um, 
saying that me having MS would affect his goals and dreams in life. And that's okay. That was his path to take. Um, I wouldn't have achieved what I had or what I have now unless I've been through that adversity. So, you know, out of adversities, good things can come. You just don't realise it at the time. And, you know, you're sitting in an adversity like, you know, a marriage breakdown and that I reinvented myself after he left and became a better person. You know, there were faults on both sides. I can't blame it all on him. There was faults on my sides, but I stopped and looked and went, okay, well, I want to create a better future myself. What do I need to do? What do I need to change? And looking after my health was the primary one um, back then. And then I got hit then with um, heart surgery. So every time I've, you know, made an advancement, bang, something else has happened. It's like, okay, let's just get through this. And all the way through all the businesses that I've built, I've continued to um, look to the future, to look for a a better future for myself and what do I need to do in in order to improve myself to achieve what I want to. And and that's where we are today. So uh, continually learning and and putting strategies in place um, to make things better. Because I'm the one that has the choice. I can continue to sit in the corner and rock or I can take control of my life and my situation and and better myself. So retraining, which is what I did. I don't learn conventionally anymore like I did when I was younger. It's a different form of learning. So I've adapted and modified to my disabilities, but it doesn't mean that I've stopped. It just means it's a little bit different to what I used to do. Right. And you show just by when you get the diagnosis and going through the roller coaster that you've gone through over the last uh, 13 years now, right? Uh, yeah. 12 years, that you had resilience in you. Did that come from upbringing as well? Or was that just something you didn't know you had? And bam, I, I'm pretty resilient. I can take all these punches and just keep coming back and fighting. So here's a question back to you before I answer mine. All right. Is resilience something we're born with or is it something that we learn? I think it's a combination thereof. Yeah, I think sometimes you're born with it. It might be genetic or hereditary, I guess. Everyone's and, born with it. Yeah, Everyone. you have some in there, but you don't know what it is really. If mom and dad are there and it's there, you see mom and dad go through some stuff and they can battle through it and then they teach you to battle That's through it. That's when you start learning it. Right, what so it is. All, yeah, we're all born with it because we all learn how to walk. Right. <laughs> this is a great example. All right. So um even crawling better than others, yes. Some do it faster than others, but we all learn how to walk. No one told us that we couldn't walk. Right. Right. No one tells us that we've got to get back up, but we do. And you know, when you start to learn how to walk, you get up, you take a step, you fall down. You get back up again, you try again. Then you might take two steps and you fall down until you get to the point where you're walking and then when you start to run again you're tripping you're stumbling but you're getting back up again so that natural um inbred ingrained resilience is there and then we learn from our peers so we'll learn at school from our teachers we'll learn in the family home from our parents on and we're always watching And we're always taking things in as children. Even if we're not saying something, we're still sitting there and observing everything. So we do learn from our parents on how um, they've coped with adversities with it. Um, 
so to answer your question, um, I learned from my mom. Um, my mom had breast cancer at the age of 27. Um, I was oh, under four at that stage and had to go and live with my grandparents for around six months. That was the first time we lived with those. So I had external support and learning resilience of what my grandparents both went through World War II. They were both veterans. Um, my grandfather in the Air Force, my, my nana in the Army, and, you know, seeing their relationship and, and living with them and the resilience that they had as well. Then my mum got MS when she was 33 and I was about 10 at, the st at that stage. She got cervical cancer when she was 40 and lung cancer at 49 and passed away from complications at the age of 49 from the MS. So, you know, watching her struggle throughout her illness, um, or illnesses and the cancers and everything, um, I saw the resilience that she was actually building. Now, resilience is a buzzword brought about mainly from COVID. Um, all of a sudden, everyone had resilience going through COVID. Prior to that, it wasn't mentioned as much. Um, so when I was growing up, it was, oh, you've got grit. Yep. Geez, you've got some grit. We don't use that word anymore over here. I don't know about in the States, but we don't use the word grit. It's like, oh, you've got resilience. So, you know, to be called the queen of grit um, doesn't roll off the tongue as good as the queen of resilience. Um, so it look, when I, how I became a resilience coach, I kind of stumbled into it. I had just art. It was up and going. And then I went through the... Uh, the heart surgeries and then diagnosed with all the cancers at once and the two blood conditions and all the way through that I was renovating my house to put a studio in to start teaching art to other people so I continued to do that it wasn't as if when I got diagnosed it's like oh well my world has ended we die once but we live every single day and I continue to live every single day and still do with that mindset it's like, okay, none of us know what's going to happen tomorrow. So don't think about what's going to happen into the future in regards to death and illness and that. Just live in the present moment. What can I do in the present moment? Well, I can take care of myself. I can eat good food. I can exercise. I can drink water and I can renovate, And which is what I did is I renovated and put the art studio in. Then when I got through all of that, people kept saying to me, what's your secret? How have you done it? How have you become so, <coughs> pardon me, resilient? And I didn't know. I um, actually had to stop and work with someone to work out what makes me me. And um, that's when I developed the 10 top tips to resilience and now teach other people um, how to build your own resilience. Outstanding. And I'm sure you never thought that you'd be this mentor after basically helping your mom as she went through her pro her disease and multiple different uh, challenges she went through. You didn't think that you'd be the person to mentor others when you all of a sudden were handed the same deal. You dealt with basically the same hand and yeah. all at once. It's amazing that you are still smiling. You're still working hard to help others and still being an artist, still being a teacher. You have all your best-selling author, publisher, mentor, all these things you've done and other people would just lay down. And just yeah, I'm not, I'm not one to lay down. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we all have a choice, Rich. We have a choice. We can choose to 
get up every day and live your best life or you can choose to be a victim and sit there. So you can be a victim of, you know, have that victim um, mentality of the illnesses is in control or you can take control. And I choose that. And it's I choose to be positive because it's too much energy to be negative all the time and to hate the world. And so I choose to be positive. I look at the good in everything. There's That's a choice uh, to do that. Don't get me wrong, I still have some bad days and I have sad days and I'll sit in that emotion. Uh, I just won't sit in it for a long period of time, but I allow myself to sit in it and feel that discomfort. And, you know, something if something has gone wrong in my life and my body, I, I sit in that discomfort and go, okay, you know, this is not where I want to stay. What do I need to do? What strategies do I need to pull out in order to lift myself out from that, that mood? First, th- first thing is normally book back in with the counsellor in, in an appointment if it's, you know, within the three weeks or it's like, oh, can I hang out for my three-week mark? And nowadays I, I can unless it's something, you know, very traumatic. Um, last year I unfortunately found my partner dead on the floor and so that was something that I, you know, you don't don't realise on the impact that that has um, on you. And I was straight back into counselling. That afternoon I've rung up and said, I need to talk to you now because she could give me an impartial conversation rather than all the emotion that was fueled with talking to my kids and family and friends and they didn't know how to support me uh, from that. So, you know, adversities will happen and continue to happen. That's life. But how you choose to deal with those adversities makes a huge difference. And I've always helped people in all my jobs I've I've done is support. Um, I was a Weight Watchers leader um, for nearly 10 years, so supporting people losing weight. And it's just natural to me to support and help people, which is what I do in nearly every single business that I've actually got is to support people. And that is my higher purpose in life is to support and help people. I thought I was in my dream job back in 2011. I'd worked my whole career to get to the point where I was um, a program director for Jenny Craig, who no longer exists anymore because it's all gone bust. Um, So I have outdone Jenny Craig. Um, And I thought that, you know, I had my dream job. I was in my dream relationship um, that, you know, I was living that perfect life and the universe had other ideas for me in a different trajectory because I wasn't. And I look now going, there's no way that, I would have thought that that was going to be happy for a long period of time. Um, Whereas now with the um, people's lives that I'm touching with my story and changing, helping people change for the better, that's my purpose, to support them uh, through it. So whether it's hopping on podcasts like today, doing my podcast, I run two different podcasts myself because, you know, one's not enough. Exactly. About, about to start another one as well, Rich. So there'll be three, um, you know, one on resilience mindset, one with MS and one with Morpheus Publishing as well because I started a publishing business last year. <laughs> and, you know, my mum always told me there's no such word as can't. <laughs> one thing that I remember, from, there's no no such word as can't, Justy. Just learn how. And, and that's what I do, you know. Um, 
last year I wrote and illustrated a children's book on equality and inclusion and I submitted it off to 31 publishers and I got five contracts back and I didn't take any of them. I sat there and went, right, I'm on something here. If I can get five contracts back, people think that this is worthy of being published. They, I read the fine print and they wouldn't let me use my artwork for anything else uh, and even something that was similar in style. And I'm like, well, that's not going to work for me because, you know, art is a major um, income earner and I love creating and I didn't want to create something and then I couldn't share it to the rest of the world because I'd signed this contract. So... Um, I was working with one of my staff and I popped off to the loo for 60 seconds and I came back and I went, I'm going to start a publishing business. And she goes, you're only gone for 60 seconds. And I'm like, that's all it takes. Now let's action it. And that's one thing that I do in my life is when I have a, a hairball idea and my, my family's used to these big, brainy, hairy, audacious goals that I get is that I action them. And that's the difference to the average person is you got to action things straight away. Who's had an idea and not actioned it and then someone else has gone and invented your idea? But I thought of that. Yeah, you probably did, but you didn't action it. So I actioned last year the, the publishing um, business and it has escalated uh, tenfold <laughs> since then. And we've got about six books coming out this year and one of them is an anthology of other people with MS in oh. Australia. So I've got together, there's about 23 of us that have been madly writing our chapters for the last seven weeks. And that is launching um, internationally in September. So keep an eye out. And it's called Whispers of Resilience, um, our MS journey. And that to me is everything, helping other people, not only the writers that have have you know penned all of this but to help other people with ms read this book and know and show that our life hasn't stopped just because we became disabled just because we have this incurable disease that you know the majority of us have gone on to still contribute back to society and and make better lives for ourselves despite the adversities that we're facing definitely and you definitely have and, and even in that last uh talk you just said you matter of factly said you found your partner uh, deceased and just yeah. kept going. And that's another thing that was thrown at you in this time period. It's not mentioned in all your bio. It's, <laughs> but it's another thing that you were able to, oh, okay, uh, I have to deal with this now, but I'm still going to keep pushing forward. And yeah. uh, there's a lot of people. I don't just have closure with, with that at the moment. Um, he's, um, his findings on on how he died, why he died, um, are still with the coroner and we haven't had the report yet. So, we, you know, we're 10 months down the track and we're still waiting to find out why wow. and how. Um, he was a fit, healthy 57-year-old male that just dropped dead. So we may never find um, the reason why, um, but if I hadn't have jumped on counselling straight away, then I don't think I'd be in the mindset of where I am now. It hasn't sped it up, but it's definitely helped um, in giving me coping mechanisms and, and strategies and that. You know, I still have a cry. I still think about him, you know, every single day. still get a bit emotional. Um, some days are worse than others. But 
I constantly remind myself, Rich, that he passed away in that room that day. I didn't. And that he would want me to continue to live um, each and every day to my maximum. He was, you know, my biggest supporter um, there was. And he would want me to still, you know, be out there sharing my my um, secrets uh, to the larger community. Definitely. He, he wanted your light to shine. And yeah. you miss him. I'm sure everyone else misses him that knew him. But yeah. you're able to keep moving forward. I My brother-in-law was diagnosed with MS. I, I want to say probably almost about the same time as you, maybe a little after you. And his path has been a lot worse debilitating for him. He's uh, not able to do as much as he ever was able to before. And I can see it, that works on him a lot. That hurts his mind a lot. And then I have a friend. Uh, she was diagnosed. And I'm a running running coach. And she asked me to train her to run a marathon before it got too bad. And she did it. And that was one of my biggest coaching uh, accomplishments. It was all for her. And I did it just out of kindness to help her. And seeing her her joy and her pain, of course, of marathon. No, there's no fun in a marathon. There's there's always pain in a marathon, no matter what you, what level of health you are. But she did it, and she can always say in her life that she ran that marathon, even after the diagnosis. But you have done you, of course, <laughs> you want to take those challenges and push them to the to the mountaintop. Like well, I don't I don't know if it was in my bio, but I actually took up. I can't remember what's in the bio now. I actually took up Olympic weightlifting after I was diagnosed with MS. And I've represented Australia in the masters section, the old people's section. Internationally, um, and came second in the Oceanas and Pacific Rim. There was only two of us in it. Um, but you know, I was there on the there. where was all the other able-bodied athletes uh, from it? Last year I competed in um strongman events. So I did two strongman events and I'm just sitting here looking at my trophies up there because I won both of those in the all ability section, so in the disability section. And I still weight train three days a week. I love it going in and it's always a battle of Juzzy versus MS and who's going to win um, at each session. And every session is different. I work with a PT and he's the most patient man on the planet working with me and I'll go in and he goes, what hurts today? I'm like, oh, well, I can't feel my feet very well and they're all hooky and spasming up. Let's not do anything that involves pushing my legs. So then it's an upper body workout. And, um, yeah, so, you know, we work around the challenges and, but, you know, I still go in there and every single session I go in there, I walk out feeling better. I can feel absolute crap when I walk in and I walk out in a better mindset. The endorphins are running and I know that I'm doing something better for my body. Um, from there so yeah I can relate to not running a marathon but um, definitely doing things you know like I said earlier in the interview I don't quit I adapt and I modify so I've been waiting for since 2001 I was weightlifting before it was fashionable of CrossFit and everyone to walk in a gym when you're a female Um, and I competed in tug-of-war uh, nationally as well and qualified to represent Australia internationally in tug of war and then went to all-round weightlifting and then represented Australia in 2007 internationally at the World Championships for that one and then um, I've done powerlifting uh, as well and wanted to go back and do powerlifting or Olympic weightlifting after I got diagnosed but with 
the cancers and went through chemo and and all of that but i'm still glowing green and i wouldn't um i wouldn't pass the ioc laws right. uh, the drug tests so it's like okay well i'll do powerlifting and then COVID hit and then it's like well that's not gonna happen and then it just so happened i trained in a strength gym a strongman gym and they were running these strongman competitions and my coach is like what do you reckon i went yeah let's give it a crack so um and i'd be doing it this year except for i'm away for work um on the the comp days and i'm in bali and i'm in ireland and and stuff like that so i'm living the dream rich you know living the dream i mean you've shown it and your whole story is amazing uh Again, thank you for sharing your story with us. If you can give uh, just three tips to someone that's handed a, a bad sandwich of life, basically a bad hand, a bad hand in life, what would you tell them? Some some tips to get them to look forward and not look back and get just be like you, straightforward, resilient, and go forward. I the first thing I, I teach everyone is self-care. Self-care isn't about being selfish. Um, that old oxygen mask theory, you know, um, when you're flying, the air hostess says put your oxygen mask on first so you can help the person next to you. And that's the same with life. Make sure that your self-care is taken care of. So things like eating right, exercising, making sure your mental health um, is taken care of. Um spending some time on you you know taking some time out of the day do some mindfulness all of that looking after your self-care um it's not about perfection is another one it's about persistence so don't try and be perfect in everything that you do because you're setting yourself up for failure right from the start just be persistent you know and the third one is set some goals have some visions. You know, dreams become reality when you set a goal to them and set those goals despite the adversity that you're facing because then that will give you something to strive for and live for. Awesome. And how does someone get in contact with you to either chat with you like we just did or either hire you to come speak to their company or something like that to, to pump them up like you have pumped up the Misfit Nation tonight? Have have passport can travel rich so um i am an international keynote speaker but you can contact me on justinemartin.com.au resiliencemindset.com.au juzdart j-u-z-t-a-r-t.com.au or just type in justine martin geelong in google and i pop up everywhere you can find me online Awesome. And seven businesses will pop up, probably an eighth one in your mind right now. No more. No more. I do have a job interview next week as a TV presenter. So we'll see what happens from that one. So a job and seven businesses. Yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> and two podcasts. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Justine, this has been great chatting with you, and I look forward to seeing the great things you do in the future. Thanks, Rich, and uh, thank you for allowing me the opportunity to be on here today to talk to your audience. It's been great. No problem. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for checking us out and being a part of the Misfit Nation. Don't forget to visit our website at themisfitnation.com. It's themisfitnation.com to catch up on all of our episodes and also to get some of that great Misfit Nation gear. As always, be humble, stay hungry, and keep hustling because we are – 